Hi, everybody. I am Josh Levine, and welcome to another episode of Private Market Insights, which is our uh, conversation series where we discuss important topics related to the small business M&A industry. I am the co-founder and CEO of Private Market Labs. Uh, that is a new platform designed to democratize the small business acquisition process. We match buyers with deals based on their written descriptions of the companies they want to buy. And I'm happy to share that the first version of our platform is now live. This is the first time I'm making this announcement uh, publicly. We are now live. Check it out, www.privatemarketlabs.com. I'll be talking about that more in future episodes. But the much more important thing is our topic for today. And uh, it's a very important one, which is uh, gender equality and diversity in search. And in particular, how can we increase the number of women looking to buy small businesses? My guest today is the fantastic Whitney Shepard. Whitney is a searcher, a former chemist, and an influential member of our online entrepreneurship through acquisition community. Uh, Whitney, we're so glad to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. All right. Well, um, let's just jump right in. Uh, you shared with me uh, a couple of days ago that you believe entrepreneurship through acquisition can be a professional solution for women in the workplace. So let's start with that concept for our audience. How is ETA a solution for gender inequality in the modern workforce? Yeah, definitely. I'm actually always surprised that more women are interested in this um, opportunity, and we'll kind of dive more into that later on. But um, I mean, at the core of it, if you're owning the business, you get to set the culture for that business. You get to set the tone and, and you get to say, hey, we're going to have a workspace that um, that cares a lot about gender equality. And, and what can we do to make that better for, for the woman in the space? So I just think at the core, I mean, the easiest way to do that is to be the one in charge, the one owning the business and, and, and designing that culture. Very cool. And um, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And do you find that it often takes like a top-down approach to implement those kinds of policies? I mean, it, I see that, you know, obviously there's a lot of conversation on how do we increase the number of women who have these kinds of policies in the workplace. Um, that, that conversation has grown over the last couple of years. And I think we've made a lot of steps. Does it, is it your opinion that sort of that top-down leadership is, is super important for this process? Yeah, and I think, like, to your point, though, I mean, like, certainly in bigger companies, even if maybe the, the person in charge does want to have that, I mean, it doesn't always trickle all the way down if the managers and et cetera aren't on, on board with that. But, you know, and, and with the businesses that we're talking about, it's a much smaller type of business where, as the owner, you are, um, you're a little closer and, and in constant contact with the majority of the employees on a regular basis. So I think you have a better opportunity to keep that gender um, equality rolling and, and moving through with everyone that's involved in that business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I know that one thing in particular that stood out for me, and you know, I'm sure you've seen these photos too, it's you know the search related, the conferences and gatherings and it's just, if you look at the kind of the big view, I, I can picture a specific conference and a specific photo in my mind's eye. It's just hundreds of people and it's just all white men. And it's yeah. truly like a fascinating, a fascinating phenomenon. I, it's hard to believe every time I see it. Um, why haven't we seen more women in search so far? Yeah, um, I really like to think of this as there's three answers for this. And the basis of this, I like to think of it as a pyramid. 
like those nutritional pyramids you've seen. And, and the basis of that is just an educational aspect, right? Like not as many people know about ETA or, or buying a business. They hear a lot about entrepreneurship, um, but they just don't hear about buying a business. So, so part of it is just educating more people about this. Um, and, and I know that MBA programs are starting to pick that up and, and, and the words getting spread out from a social media standpoint as well. Um, but the second big reason, I think once people are educated about ETA and, and buying a business, um, what is the appeal for a woman to buying a business? And, you know, compared to going and getting a job at Google, where you're going to be offered um, a steady income, you're going to be offered parental leave, um, you have just a lot of benefits. And also, um, you know, it may not be as cool to say, hey, I'm going to go I, after my MBA program, I'm going to go and I'm going to acquire an HVAC company. Like, right. again, you're running into the male dominated industries, which are the ones that are heavily advertised on media as being bought. Um, you don't hear a lot of people being like, oh, hey, I'm rolling up a med spa. Although there is a lady that's doing that and she's doing a fantastic job doing that. But that's just not what you're going to hear about as often. You're not going to hear about um, these, just, these more just female based industries don't get a lot of attention. So I yeah. think the appeal for women, it's is difficult as well, just from the, the standpoint of the industries that you're hearing about. Um, and then kind of on top of that pyramid is just once you get over and maybe you find an area that is appealing to you as a as a female searcher, um, you then have to come over to the intimidation aspect, which of course, like networking um, in the SMB arena, like that can be intimidating here. I was kind of explaining to Josh that I kind of, I view it as a nutritional chart pyramid here. And the bottom part is education aspect where it's just getting the word out to more people. Um, and then the second aspect is that, you know, once people do know about it, um, for women at least is the appeal. And I think for a big majority of the marketing aspect of SMB is, is HVAC or these really male dominated industries, but there's actually a lot of women owned businesses um, that would be great for other female searchers to look into. Um, so I was talking about the appeal and, and how we can kind of open up and address the fact that there's a lot of different industries where you can do a roll up or, or you can buy and grow. And it's not just these male dominated, um, sometimes termed blue collar industries. And then my third reasoning above that, that I was just about to touch into, um, once you get past, once you get educated, once you find what is appealing to you, um, you're going to run into the intimidation factor. And that's just the fact that, you know, this industry, as we're talking about, is male dominated. And it can be intimidating to go to a conference and network with people when you're surrounded by 99% men. Um, and then, you know, furthermore, from the networking standpoint, you also have the brokers and then you have um, the owners that are selling your businesses, which the majority of the ones are, you know, perhaps retiring um, and, and sometimes have a little more of a conservative view um, or a stereotypical view on, on a woman's place. And, and you do have to deal with that. And, you know, the silver lining and all of that, though, is you learn so much in the process and, um, you know, you go into it having a lot of doubt. But every time you overcome it and you do better, um, you gain confidence. And I think that ultimately will help you once you do acquire a business moving forward. Yeah. 
Um, that that's a great answer. I you know I'd love to follow up on that. Are what are some of the things? Obviously, you mentioned there are you know tricks you learned or um, you know lessons you learned as you move forward. You know things that gave you confidence. What are some things that you know were particularly helpful for you um, that helped you gain confidence? I know you've been you've been at this and you know working the the search angle and talking to a lot of people. What sort of is what has, helped, what has helped you get over that hump and, you know, what can we do to help people feel more comfortable as they're, they're reaching out and, and navigating this process? Yeah, well, I want to premise that question by saying I think the men in the SMB um, space are actually very nice and very willing to help. And I don't have any EMO against any of them, um, just to be clear. But um, I think, you know, just keeping that mentality of wanting to help other women in this space is great. Um I mean, just just being a good person in general to to the women, and then also from the investor standpoint, I think there's a lot of investors right now and investment firms that also are are really wanting to help out women um, from a capital standpoint um, from acquiring businesses, and that's a great way to also push the needle forward. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, what got you into search? Um, and uh, you know, as you you know, yeah, what what got you into search? What were some of the early sort of data points for you and what made you decide to, to take that leap? Yeah. So that is a very loaded question and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely not your typical, um, person in search. Like I do have a degree in chemistry. Um, I don't have an MBA. Um, and that's why I say it's a very loaded question because it, it was a long journey to get me to this, um, arena. Um, but I guess the short end of the stick is I just started reading finance books and, you know, we could probably do a whole podcast on how I ended up in this space because it's a long story. But uh, just going back also to the fact, we'll kind of skip along here, um, that I do have four kids and, you know, I, I needed something where I could provide for my family, but also have a lot of flexibility. And I think think and, and I mean I truly believe that buying a business is a really great route to go for that especially if you're a parent whether you're a mom or a dad um you know you're not going to be working 60 hour work weeks unless unless you know that's that's what you wanted to buy into um obviously that's an option in search like you can take over that the owner that was working 60 hour work weeks um and, you know, there's a lot of different routes in search, of course, and, and some people do go that route and it's really just, you know, hey, I'm going to push up my sleeves and keep my head down for five years and then I'm going to sell it and exit it. But there's also a route where you can buy a business that already has a general manager in place or you have the opportunity to put the general manager in place. And that allows you to really focus a little bit more on on business development and the growth of the business um, in the culture. And, and that's where I really wanted to focus. And that's what I found very appealing, um, to myself for, for myself. Very cool. What, uh, what books did you read? Like, obviously there's, there's a couple of really key books that a lot of people in the space read. Was it, you know, is it by the build? Was it messy marketplace? Like what were your, what were sort of your, your entry points that way? Yeah. So, um, you know, Graduating with chemistry, I really didn't have any finance knowledge. And when we moved to Boston up here, I um, just started reading finance books. So I started out with a lot of investing books and then real estate and then, um, you know, came across the ones that everyone has read, which is the Harvard Business Review one and Buy Then Build. And those are great books. But until you start doing search, I think 
those books really cover a tiny like sliver of search. And I would love for someone to write an updated version because both of those books give you a little insight on the opportunity that is out there. But there's so many different avenues of search that you can do that I don't think those books really touch on. Um, I, I believe the Harvard Business Review touches on traditional search um, and self-funded search. Um, and Buy Then Build, I believe, just does like self-funded search, really. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there's kind of this hybrid in between those two, which is essentially self-funded search is, is looked at as like you're using your own funds to go out and acquire your own business and you're taking 100% equity. But when I say hybrid, I'm just kind of going to coin that term. I don't know if there's a new term out there or, or not, but um, hybrid is really where you're not getting paid to search, but you're going to go out and find a business that's bigger than your own bank account can afford to buy. And then you're going to pull in investors to um, to close that deal. And that one's not talked about as often. And then the other route that's not talked about as often is the independent sponsor route, which is where you're more of managing a portfolio of businesses and you don't get equity unless you put your own money in. Um, but you get like a management fee um, that you get to take and then you get carried interest. So um, those books are a great starting point and they definitely snowballed me into this industry. Um, but there's a lot to learn and you just don't really learn those until you start doing essentially. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're going to be the one that writes it, right? That would be, uh, that'd be exciting. That would be a lot of fun. So obviously like you talk about sort of the, the knowledge gap, right? You're coming from chemistry, you're entering finance for the first time, you're reading a lot. Was there a particular point as you think through your journey so far, was there a particular point where you said, okay, I'm good at this. I know what I'm doing. Um, or, you know, did it sort of just kind of gradually come along where you're like, okay, I'm looking back. I know a lot more than I did yesterday. I know a lot more than I did six months ago. Um, or, or was there sort of like, okay, and now I, aha, now I'm here. Like, was there a moment like that? I was terrible when I first started. And so for all people <laughs> that were terrible, it's okay. You won't always be terrible. You just keep going. Uh, I was I'm sure you were terrible. I was scared to jump on the phone phone with anyone and you can't be scared to jump on the phone. So that was like step one of fear that I'm, yeah. I'm getting over. Um, but yeah, so I was not good to start out with, but I truly, truly feel like I'm absolutely where I need to be. And this is what I love doing and I'm not sick of it. And I've been searching for over a year now, which is a little long. Um, but this is what I just truly love doing. And I had a big learning curve to get over. And I feel like I'm, I'm at a great point now and um, I've gotten a lot of experience. I mean, I've, I've probably had, um, you know, over 25 seller calls at this point. I've sent in over a dozen LOIs. I've been under LOIs. So I think in all of that experience, you just, you're not going to get until you just start believing in yourself and, and you take the leap and, and get into it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something over the phone that I wanted to touch on. Um, and I really liked this quote. So I'm going to just quote you back at you, um, which is, which is always fun. But you said, um, inclusion often becomes before policy, uh, but you need both inclusion and policy. Uh, what do you mean by that in the context of, uh, moving this industry forward? And, uh, and how does that, how does that really apply to the search space? Yeah. So when we were talking, I was I was talking about the uh, chemistry field and just STEM in general. You know, they're there. That used to be very male dominated. It's now pretty much 50 50, if not more females are in it. 
um, than before. I'm not sure why I'm using the term female here. I, mean, I, should, I should use the term woman. But anyways, um, you know, but what, what they expected was, yes, we want more women in this field, but we want you to come here and act like a man, which essentially means, you know, we're going to forget the fact that between ages 20 to 40, maybe even a little past 40 nowadays, you can have a baby. Um, <laughs> you know, like don't have babies, essentially. We just want you to be a man. We don't want to have to deal with any of those issues that come with the fact that you are a woman. Um, and I, I just think that that's the difficult aspect right now where people are asking for more women to come into to any male dominating industry is they don't want to address the fact that there are differences between a man and a woman and we have to make compromises within that. Um, so, I mean, in search, for example, like I'm just going to give traditional search an example here. Like if you're sure. going to go down the traditional search route, um, you're going to be in constant contact with your investors and the, you're probably not going to have the opportunity to say, hey, while I'm searching, like you get paid maybe $90,000 a year to search um, in the traditional search. You probably can't go to them and say, oh, um, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. Can I still get my paycheck for searching, uh, you know, for three months by my maternity leave? They may say yes, but like that, they may say no. And, you know, I think people just need to be more open to the fact that that is going to be um, a good problem that we run into and hopefully we can come up with a good solution for that where it's going to make it more appealing to women to enter the space if that Dr. makes sense no it, it makes perfect sense sort of this idea that it's not even it's not really enough to say you know for me to come on and be like hey I've got a podcast let's talk about women in search like that's that's sort of inclusion right we're trying to start this conversation but policy follows so how do we make a space more inclusive by the way that it functions versus not just by the language that we use or the people we sort of invite into the into the room to to chat or invite on the panel so right. um you know in search you know I think the traditional search method is a really good one and then I guess to your point at the beginning, when I guess we, before we had our, uh, our break and fix the technical difficulties, you were talking about how those policies that lead to inclusion, that lead to better outcomes are often the opportunity of a, of a woman CEO in one of these small businesses is to implement those policies and make the sort of open that door wide behind you and, and try to let people through and, and build the policies that lead to the future. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Summed up very well there. Cool. Um, so, um, obviously we've talked a, a sort of about, about you a whole lot. Um, but let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your search specifically. So, um, uh, how has your experience been so far? You mentioned that you've been searching for about a year. Typically we see people acquire, it usually takes one to three years and, uh, you know, so one year mark, you're, you're right on track. Um, you looks like you've been busy, right? Number of LOIs. Um, what's your experience been like? And uh, I guess, what kind of business are you looking to buy? My hope is that after this podcast is done, someone's going to listen and they're going to send you a great deal off market and you'll, you'll be closed within a month. That would be like my dream. I'll, I'll, I'll trumpet it on Twitter forever. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be very wonderful. Um, so I guess my experience so far has been, I think it's very typical that, that people use the wording of, of a roller coaster experience. And it definitely is. I mean, you make relationships with brokers and and sellers and you know you think everything's going well and then 
you find out something that's just an absolute red flag and, and just kills the deal. And that can definitely just throw you under for a little while, but you got to get back up and just and continue to keep going. And um, there's always going to be another great deal out there, um, great business that that comes to market. So, you know, like I said, you get down and then you get back up and then you're you're on your high again and, and it just keeps going like that. But I think that aspect is actually, you know, it keeps you on your toes and, and it can be really exciting. Um, so the type of businesses I'm looking for. Um, so this is actually why. Let me just step, take a step back. Why I've been searching for a little bit longer is that I originally was searching for a much smaller business in 2022. Um, and granted, this was kind of, you're still kind of coming out of COVID where you have businesses that say, Hey, I've normalized, but you're kind of, all you have is maybe the beginning of 2022 is financials. Right. And so you're, you're kind of, you're putting a lot of trust into them per se. And a lot of these businesses just happen to hit it all the ballpark because of COVID. So cleaning, um, commercial cleaning businesses, for example, did really, really well and wanted to sell for a really high multiple. Um, so what happened is I just kind of, I got, I guess, exhausted from looking at these businesses that made a million one year, but were making 40,000 the year before. And I decided, you know, I'm going to kind of up the size of the business I'm looking at because I, and so where I look now, um, this, I looked in the smaller business area for about three to four months before I said, I think I'm just going to go ahead and, and look into those bigger businesses that are more in that one to two EBITDA range. And what part of the appeal for those businesses is they've typically been around longer. Um, they're typically more consistent from a profit standpoint. And they have usually a second tier management team. So your job, from, from my perspective at least, when you buy that business, is your job is really setting the culture at that company um, and inspiring the other people in that management team to be good managers, um, to lead. And, and you're really just, you're setting the tone for that company and then working on the projection and, and how can we grow and, and improve our, our, our revenue. So that was really appealing to me. Whereas with the smaller businesses, and when I say smaller, I mean, let's just say like a price of, of 2 million and under. So that's typically like a 500,000 SDE business. Those ones I was finding, they were more typically... Um, the owner's working 60 hours a week, wearing 10 different hats, um, very relationship-based. And that's not the case for all of them. There's some excellent smaller businesses out there, so I don't want anyone to, to feel like that's not an option. But you do have to pick through the weeds a little more with that. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how how has that shift gone? So, like, has it, have, has it required different kinds of relationship building with brokers? Are you looking in different places? Um, you know, are there other different areas where the red flags are, are popping up for you? Um, so yeah, relationships with brokers is a big thing. I think that's, I mean, I actually just recently got sent a deal from, I had a deal under LOI and that deal went down and, um, you know, that, that always is a bummer when that happens. Yeah, but that broker and I, thankfully, you know, built up a good relationship and he actually just sent me one that hasn't came to market yet. And so I think even, you know, even when things don't go well, you have the you have the opportunity to make the best of it, which is like, hey, we've spent a really long time talking for the past couple months. We've both been involved in this deal. 
keep your relationship strong with all the brokers that you need. And I think they're going to, they're going to help you out in the end. And obviously it helps them out too, because they get paid when the deal closes, but um, you know, there's that. Um, is that kind of what you were asking or what was it? Yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. I, I appreciate okay. it. That's a good answer. Um, any advice for searchers when it comes to financing their acquisition and how has that shifted in a world where interest rates have been higher, right? So we had, you know, kind of this low interest rate environment during, you know, 2020, 2021, interest rates were, were much higher. Now they're starting to come down. Like, how are you, how are you thinking about kind of the economic conditions, the financing strategies, and, and maybe any advice that you could give to uh, our listeners from that perspective? So um, I'll talk about financing first, and then I'll kind of talk about the interest rates a little bit. But um, from the financing perspective, I think if there's other people listening to this, I hope there is. I can't see on here. So I'm not there, sure. there are. There are. We have, okay. we have listeners. Um, I think if you're kind of wondering, like, hey, I want to look for these larger businesses as well. What are my financing options? And new majority capital is wonderful. Um, they're um, providing capital for... Uh, women searchers and people of color. Um, so that's a really exciting um, avenue to go. Also, SIG out there is also um, helps searchers um, fund acquisitions. Um, and also, New Majority Capital, I know they do a lot of educational stuff too. So they're doing like a, a beta program that you can apply to, and it's like 10 weeks educational program um, all about how to buy a business. Um, so that's another avenue to go down. Um, there's also other groups out there. I just don't know about all of them. And then another, um, route that you can go though, is just individual investors. So you can just network with individual investors. There's some on search funder, there's some on Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, um, so that's an option. And then as far as interest rates, you know, I don't know. It's, it's tough because interest rates are so high right now. Uh, I think they're 10.5% at least for an SBA loan right now. And it's not budging prices at all. So, you know, it's just, it's a dance right now with the prices. I think, you know, if you want to talk about like a little bit of a low aspect of search is that, you know, I mean, sometimes I'll put in a bid and I will give asking price to the seller that's been making a million dollars plus a year. And I've had a, I've had a seller come back and say, well, I just want a hundred thousand more over asking price. And you're like, I've already pushed up like against my max ceiling. Like I'm dealing with 10.5% interest rates, you know, like you've been making over a million dollars a year. Like I know that you worked really hard to create that business, but like we're talking about a hundred thousand dollar difference here when I am like absolutely maxed out on my DCR amount that I'm comfortable with, you know? Um, so, you know, you've got to deal with that. And it's a weird thing that I won't understand. I think it's a power thing to be honest, where they just say, Hey, I want more money than even my asking price and, you know, but anyway, so you just be, you know, recognize that prices aren't really budging, even though the interest rates are really high right now. Um, it's just something that we have to deal with. But I think, um, you know, a nice silver lining with that is just the fact that the SBA guidelines came out with some new rules and those new rules are at least aiding and, and being a little more creative with how you structure the deal. So you can give that seller their asking price. Um, one that I really like, which you'll have to talk to different lenders on, on who will go with this, but the 24 month seller note um, counting towards equity, if, if you can get that on, on full standby for two years. And you know, on the, from the seller's perspective, it's a really nice tax benefit if you're not paying that full price up front. So 
just talking with them about that. Um, I, I find that a lot of sellers are actually open to that more so than you would think. Um, and then the other thing that I think puts us as searchers a little more ahead of or gives us a, a more equal playing field, at least against PE, is the fact that typically, in my experience, you know, I'll hear from a seller being like, hey, I do want to go with you, even though your price is a little bit lower than this private equity firm. And the reasoning for that is because that private equity firm wants me to stay here and work for two years. And I don't want to do that. So, you know, they want to just sell and be done. And if you're an individual buyer looking, you know, you're looking for, you know, a max maybe three months of, of on-site training and then maybe um, up to a year of like phone consultation, right? So it's a lot different for an individual buyer versus PE in that role. So that's something where you do have a little bit of a leg up. Gotcha. And you've mentioned a couple of times that, um, oh, and thank you for mentioning New Majority Capital, by the way, that's one of our partners and we're, we're huge fans of them. Um, you've, you've mentioned that you, you're often looking for companies with general managers already attached. Like how, how has that gone? And, um, you know, how are you, like, is that a question that you ask early on to the broker or the seller or like, how do you sort of suss out the, the leadership structure? Obviously you can't tell from a listing. Uh, sometimes you can't, I guess, but. Yeah, no, that's a really great question because sometimes in the sim it will say they have a general manager and it will have or it will have the whole management team listed and it's nice and clear. Um, and sometimes it will say that and you'll still have an owner working 60 hours a week. So, um, but other times you will see that there is nothing listed. I actually just had a seller call today uh, where there was no general manager, but there were managers for other aspects. So like there was a sales manager. Um, so, you know, you, you have to kind of sit down and you have to have a seller conversation with them to really understand the structure um, of the company. I think that's the ultimate way to go. You can't rely heavily on the SIM. SIM is like a little nice peak summary, but the seller yeah. call is a little more truthful. <laughs> I guess yeah. you could no, say. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, any stories of success or failure in your process that would be interesting for our audience? Um, you've been under LOI a few times. You've had deals go really far. You've had deals fall through. You know, any particular lessons learned or, or things that people should hear from you? Yeah, I think um, kind of rolling off what I was just saying about the importance of a seller call. Um, I kind of I talked to you about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, I had a deal fall through where I thought this was definitely it. Um, I loved the seller on the phone. Yeah. I loved him over text. Um, really great person, I thought. And then meeting in person was a very, very different experience and very yeah. eye-opening. Um, I can't say too much, obviously, for like confidential reasons. But, um, you know, I just feel like if, before you sign a PG or before you go too far down a rabbit hole, make sure you meet that owner in person. And there's a lot of people who are looking um, at businesses in different cities, different states. And, you know, you do got to fly out there and you do have to go meet them at some point <laughs> before you sign. Yeah. And I just think that's really important. It's really easy for someone to kind of give you a nice show, especially if they have a sales background over the phone and over text. And it's just a lot different in person and spending a few hours with them. Yeah. Um, but then like, if you want like a little more of like some fun stories of like, things going yeah. south that aren't aren't that bad aren't that bad you know sure. I, I wasn't knee deep in them uh i was looking at a med spa and i sent an loi and they came back and they were like 
we can't, um, it, are you okay with the owner still practicing from her house? Like, a few, <laughs> you know, blocks away from the practice. And I was like, um, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. No. So, yeah, like, so you're, you're just going to take all the me. clients yeah. and have no overhead. I, uh, <laughs> wow. So, there's that. Um, another one that I run into that kind of just makes me laugh because you usually find out fast is a lot of time listings will say retiring owner. That's not retiring. They're going to just start another business. Um, so you kind of have to dig into that too. Like it will say retiring. And I think that kind of baits all of us searchers because we all want a retiring owner. Uh, it doesn't. It just, you have to ask them through phone calls a few times, like if they are retiring. And I've gone on a seller call and then started the process of the LOI and everything and then found out, oh, they don't want to move to that state. They just want to cash in and, and, and where that kind of comes out as a problem is when you write that non-compete and they'll say, oh, well, actually, can we make the non-compete like 20 miles or can we make it only 50 miles? And it's like, wait, I thought you were retiring. I thought right. you were moving. Like, you know, what's going on here? So those are, those are the aspects where at least you find them out early and you can just laugh it off. But yeah, things to watch yeah. out for. Thank, thank you for sharing. Those are, those are incredible. And um Definitely good lessons learned. Um, ask your seller if they're actually retiring. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're about, I have a couple more questions for you. Um, we're about to also, uh, but I want to make sure that the audience gets a chance to ask some questions as well. So um, I'm going to keep going, but please, everyone in the audience, if you have questions, please put them in the chat. Um, there should be chat uh, functions available at all the uh, places we're streaming here. So um once you do that, we will make sure that Whitney is able to see and answer your questions as we go forward. So um, please uh, share your questions. Um, how has a female surger impacted your experience looking to buy a business, both positively and negatively? And um, are there any important like lessons learned you, you would share with other women who are looking to get into the space? Um, so I think there's a lot of positives, which I kind of touched on, which was just the fact that there's over 12 million businesses that are owned by women. So you actually, you get to stand out. There's a lot more women owners than you may realize. I've had two seller calls with women who really grew their business, but it was from a really kind of a sad place where their husband had passed away and then mm -hmm. they took it over, but then they did a phenomenal job growing it and, and it was now up for sale. Um, so I think you have an ability to really relate to that woman owner um, compared to the men in the industry. So that's a great, positive to have and and like I said um there's a lot of industries that aren't really talked about like um that are usually more female dominated that you just have more knowledge about being a woman uh like med spas like nail salons you know um those kind of businesses um what was the second part of that question there oh just just oh, less the negative yeah. the negative side um so yeah negatives um definitely brokers are going to be asking about your experience all the time i don't think that happens quite as frequently with men um another thing is i'm constantly being asked for proof of funds so like you know and that's something you have to get over um and, de and dealing with um but those are really like the two big negatives that i feel like i deal with um I try to just look at the positive side as much as possible. Yeah, that's good. I think you mentioned to me on the phone the other day that um, you had your husband submit a couple of inquiries and they didn't ask him for proof of funds. 
<laughs> yeah. mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I know. My husband is a professor in philosophy, definitely not like finance or business related whatsoever. And um, yeah, I had him fill out some NDAs for me because I was out with the kids and I really just, you know, so there's occasions where that will happen and the broker will call him instead. And never ever has he been asked for his experience and he's never been asked for proof of funds. And I just am like mind blown with that. But so, yes, I want to give like the benefit of the doubt that brokers ask everyone that. But obviously that's not the case. And I think just talking with other women in the search that have really done an amazing job, have bought businesses um, or a business, you know, they have issues with getting a loan where it's like you don't have experience in this industry you don't have any experience in the landscape business for example and they then struggle to get that loan you know um finished and all the underwriting done because of that lack of experience but i know that there's a few handful of guys from the pe world that have bought landscape companies and it's all worked out i'm not sure they've been asked that or not you know i guess the jury's out on that but from what yeah. i hear that's not an issue um so just little things like that where there's hiccups. and But like I said, I mean, the positive side of that is the more hiccups you encounter and overcome, it ultimately is going to help you be a better business owner in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last chance for questions. Um, I have one more question for, for Whitney and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll close it down. So, um, what do you think is the biggest misconception about search just generally that, uh, people outside the process don't understand? So, um, you know, we're starting to see some media talk about our process. There was an article in the New York times about a year ago, CNBC is reporting on it, right? There's people talking about this. What do you think is one of the biggest things that you've learned as you've been a searcher that people on the outside don't get, right? Um, I would say, I think no one writes about the sales side of search hmm. and maybe that is just a little harder since I'm a woman, but you ultimately have to be good at sales. You have to be able to convince an owner that you're the right person to be buying the business. You have to convince the broker, you have to convince, and you have to convince the lender. And then once you acquire, you have to convince all of the employees that you're going to, um, take care of them and help grow and, and build this business. So that is a big thing that I just don't see talked about enough and people don't recognize. So I think if you don't have great social skills, it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge, but hopefully you can obviously overcome that with practice. Great. Yep. No, thank you for that. Um, great. Well, um, that's all the questions I had. And um, looks like the chat is is quiet today on a uh, late on a Thursday. So um, you must have answered everyone's questions so well that they, uh, they're they just going to walk away satisfied. But okay. um, I, uh, I really appreciate you being here with us. Um, uh, one more quick plug for uh, for all the work that you're doing. Um, please, you know, check out Whitney on Twitter. Check her out on LinkedIn. She's looking to buy a business. If you have great business opportunities, please send them to her. Um, if you're interested in this conversation or um, any other conversations that we've had in the past, you know, we do these every month at Private Market Insights, uh, which is uh, a part of Private Market Labs, a new platform for finding businesses to buy uh, using the latest technology. So check us out, privatemarketlabs.com. Thank you so much again, Whitney, for, for joining us today. I am so sorry for the technical difficulties that we had earlier, but um, this is uh, this is going to live on forever, and we'll make sure that we, uh, we get it cleaned up and looking good on the internet when we, uh, we post the video. 
Great. Thank you, Josh, so much for having me. And um, I'm really excited to use and explore what you guys are creating. I think it's just a wonderful idea and um, really happy to, to see this hit the marketplace. So thank you so thank much. You. Um, have a great one. All right. You too. Bye-bye.